Well, today's message is aimed at husbands here. This really is a message that applies to any Christian, uh, no matter who you are. And the reason I say that is that uh, it doesn't matter what your marital status is. We're talking about uh, Christ in the church. And so if you're a Christian, you're a part of that relationship. Uh, if you are single here, and if you desire marriage, not all singles do, but if you are single and you desire to be married, today is going to help you with, if you're a, a, a man, what sort of husband you should be, and if you are a woman, what sort of husband you should be looking for. If you are a wife, a gospelized husband is both your prayer and your opportunity to nurture in your husband. And if your uh, husband isn't a Christian, uh, we can pray that God would bring him to, uh, to saving faith. If you are a husband, then guess what? This one is squarely on you, so get ready, all right? Get ready. I, uh, I do have a further admonition for wives here today. Uh, I've told our camera operators that if, uh, if they or anybody on the tech team observe any wives elbowing husbands during this sermon, that they are to zoom in on them. And I want you to know that because all the world will see your activities towards your, towards your husband. And I would also encourage you to get ready because next week's message is the gospelized wife. So this might be a good week to stay humble is what I'm suggesting, okay? Now, if you are here and your spouse isn't a Christian, your family isn't, uh, aren't Christians, you might be the only Christian in your home, I want to encourage you, the last message in January is entitled, um, Help When There's Not Much Gospel at Home. What do we do in situations where maybe we are the only Christian in the home? How do we gospelize our home? So you stay encouraged and you stay tuned. Now this is our second message in our family month. Quick reminder, last Sunday, we, uh, we kicked this off with the gospelized family, and we just talked about uh, how does the vertical gospel of God saving, reconciling sinners to himself, how does that impact the horizontal expression of that in the relationships and there are, that we have? And there's no more important relationships than the relationships that we have within our family. These include husband and wife, parents and children, brothers and sisters. Now, I get this from Romans. And if, if you've read Romans, you might be like, I can't think of a, pa a passage in Romans where he actually talks about being a husband or talks about being a wife, and you would be right. But what we do have is we have 11 chapters of the deepest explanation of the gospel to be found anywhere. And then you get to chapter 12, verse one, and there is this massive change, the, the big therefore in that verse where Paul changes the, from the vertical now to the horizontal and applies the gospel truths to human relationships. And those include relationships within the church, relationships, the uh, you know, Christian citizen to government, uh, relationships where we don't agree with one another on things, how do we remain uh, uh, unified together. All of these are those last uh, five chapters in Romans. But the key verse, and this really is our theme verse for this month, and it really is one of the best verses in all the Bible, frankly, uh, is Romans 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as 
a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the picture there from the Old Testament of, of, of animals on the altar being offered as worship uh, to God, now we as New Covenant Christians on an altar offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And, you know, it's, it's emblematic for the fact that it's all of me. It's not just my Sundays. It's not just my, my prayer time or something. No, it is all that I am, like that animal being totally consumed on the, on the altar. We are now offering all that we are to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable uh, to God. The key here, though, is in view of God's mercy, in light of all the things we've seen in Romans 1 through 11, now this is what it means in life. And we believe this includes our marriages and our parenting and our, and our family, that, that our homes are a part of this gospel uh, framework now through which I, as a Christian, I gospelize my home. And we define that when my posture at home is in view of God's mercy to me as an act of worship to him. Wives, have you offered your wifery as an act of worship to God? Husbands, have you offered your husbandry as an act of worship to God? To realize that as a parent, my parenting is part of my offering to God. All that I am, and that must include the the. I mean, what's more important to us, humanly speaking, than our wives and husbands and children, our families, right? And so this must be a part of what God has in view of transforming and changing and gospelizing. We're using that word uh, in, in our homes. Again, in view of the mercies of God, in view of the gospel. Now, what does this mean for the Christian husband? Okay, this message is, is for, for the husband. What does this mean for the Christian husband? How does a husband gospelize his husbandry and his home? And again, I wanna just say 11 chapters, how does God make a sinner righteous? That's Romans one through 11. This is by faith in Jesus' atoning work in the cross. And I wanna begin here because a gospelized husband must first be a justified sinner. If you're listening online or you're like, hey, I need tips on how to make my home better, uh, and we'll, we're gonna have some of those, but it starts with you as a husband yourself being an actual Christian. Not, a, not, a, not a, just a professor, not just sort of a church attender, but actually being regenerate by the Holy Spirit, being a follower of Jesus. We must receive the love of God by the grace of God through faith in the Son of God. And that is all summarized in Romans 12:1 in view of the mercies of God. And that has to be the starting point. Because if, if, if that's not true, uh, dear friend, in your life, everything else I'm about to say is advice, but it is not going to be transformational. It starts with Jesus. It starts with, it starts with you and God, the vertical, before the horizontal. And this is important in many respects, and one that I want to highlight here is that for a gospelized husband, the gospel is his core identity. It is his, it's the big thing in his life. I am a Christian first, and I am a husband second, 
or a father if I'm a father. Second, you switch those around, okay? You, you flip those around. And we will only, as men, apply the gospel as long as it gets my wife off my back or it fulfills my desires in marriage. And haven't many men tried this? Let's be honest. My wife wants me in church. I'm supposed to be the lead spiritually. If it'll keep her from nagging me, then I'll go along with that. How long does that last? Not very long. And single ladies here, beware of a similar pattern in boyfriends. I've seen it many, many times. So right away, I think we are at uh, one of the real challenges in the church today, which is husbands who add the gospel to their identity rather than having the gospel as their core identity. There are too many men, I think, who look in the mirror and they see a businessman. Like that's their main thing. Or they see an athlete or they see, uh, they, 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 they see a hobbyist or a recreationalist or some other thing that is their real core identity rather than seeing a sinner saved by the grace of God. And that's why we start with the gospel again. Men, what is like at the core of who, who do you see yourself to be? And I'm urging us to see ourselves the way that the Bible tells us that we are, which is that we are sinners, and as Christians, we are saved by the grace of God. So with this, I'm saying, don't look at yourself as a husband Christian, but as a Christian husband. Not a father Christian, but a Christian father. Again, I wanna ask, what is your core identity? Who do you really see yourself? To be, And it can't be, I'm the wife of so-and-so, or I'm the parent of so-and-so. It has to be, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That my relationship with God through Jesus is the core of who I am. And what this does then is, becoming a Christian elevates and thrones Jesus in the, in the man's heart in a way that pushes the other priorities down the list puts them in a better place. Now Jesus is the starting point for everything in my life. Michael Horton said it this way, the good news is not just a series of facts to which we yield our assent, but a dramatic narrative that replots our identity. To be a Christian is to have a radical reorientation within your heart of who I am and my purpose, my identity, to give you an idea of this, how radical this is, here is Jesus teaching on the family. Listen carefully, Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's a nice verse during family month, don't you think? What's the point? Husbands, hate your wives. Be warmed and filled, you're dismissed. <laughs> hate your wife? This is Jesus saying hate your wife? Hate your children? And if you don't, you're not a Christian? What on earth? Unless you understand what Jesus is actually saying here. He's saying what I'm trying to say which is to be a Christian is a radical reorientation of the values of my heart in such a way that 
Compared to my love for Christ, I hate my wife. Compared to my love for my children, I hate my, my, my children. Or I said that backwards. Compared to my love for Christ, I hate my children. In other words, he is so elevated above these other loves in my life that in comparison, it's almost like you hate them. Now, he isn't saying hate them, and we see his own example with his treatment of his mother, for example, as he hangs on the cross and many other things. So you have to understand this in context, but it's the point that I'm trying to make. We don't add Jesus to our home and hope that our kids turn out moral. We don't add Jesus to our marriage and hope our wife quits complaining about us not praying enough. We come to faith in Jesus and he transforms our heart. And from that starting point now, all the other relationships find their proper place. This doesn't make us love our wives less. It makes us love them better. It makes us love them better. And a gospelized husband has his love list rightly ordered. And here's the thing about being a husband. There, I have a friend who talk, calls marriage the perpetual stare. How do you feel when somebody's just staring at you and they don't blink? You start getting unnerved. Singles, you wanna know what it's like to be married? There is somebody in your face 24 seven staring at you. And you can like fake them out during the honeymoon, but eventually they come to know who you really are and what you actually care about. And you can't fake out your wife, not very long. At least not my wife. So it's not about faking anything. It's the ultimate authenticity. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love Jesus, have him there. Be a God. It starts with the gospel before the husbandry. Now, dear sisters, I want you to hear me a moment, okay? Please hear me, and this is an important truth, in particular for any potential future wives that we may have out there. A single woman, if you wanna be married, our, our young people, our teenagers, even our young uh, girls, now's the time to start talking about what do you look for in a husband, okay? And I can ask you, singles, if you wanna be married, what are you looking for in a husband? Like really, and many, I know many girls back in my, my single dating days, you know, they had the list and they, they've got it somewhere in their little hope chest and uh, you know, he's gonna be this way and he's gonna be that way and he's gonna be so much this way and he's gonna be so much that way and, and if you haven't written it down, you probably have something in your mind. This is kind of what I'm looking for. What do you want in a husband? What are you attracted to? I think our attractions are also indicative of the, where we are spiritually, the maturity in our life. And what I'm urging you here is, in my message on the gospelized husband, is if you want a gospelized husband, you better be looking for a gospelized man and decide right now that's what you're gonna be attracted to. That's what I'm looking for. Is he gospelized? How do I know? Well, if you're dating him already, how, how is he gospelizing your relationship right now? How is, he, how is he conducting himself? You know, a gospelized husband is one who understands that my role, part of my role is to protect and provide for the purity of my wife. Like Jesus sanctifies, sanctifies the church. 
So to ask the question, is this man right now treating you in your dating relationship, is he treating you honorably? Is he guarding your purity, particularly sexually, spiritually? Because what I want to say is if he is not a gospelized boyfriend, he ain't going to be a gospelized husband. And you shouldn't be attracted to him anyway, is kind of what I'm saying. Not if Jesus is the core identity of your heart and life. Not if you're a gospelized girlfriend. Nobody's amening right now, too worried about it, but I have pounded this point over and over again. And yet, ongoingly, daughters of the church seem to be attracted to men who don't profess Jesus. And I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I can explain it, but you wouldn't like the explanation. Now, boyfriends and future boyfriends here, I have something for you at this point as well. Can I just say, if you can't gospelize a dating relationship, you have no hope of gospelizing a marriage. Because dating is like kindergarten. You get married, you're suddenly in doctoral studies, like that. You ask many couples, some of their worst fights were during the honeymoon. All of a sudden, you are entered into this relationship where who you are and your character and your spiritual orientation will be on display. I would encourage you, if you cannot gospelize a dating relationship, stay single, okay? Do the women of the world a favor and stay single. I know one guy who did till he was 44, okay? So, a gospelized husband is a Christian man married to a woman whose core identity and priority is Christ. Point number one, you with me? All right. Now, identity, incredibly important, okay? But what is a husband to do exactly? Like, what does that look like in a marriage? And, and, you know, if you were blessed to grow up in a Christian home, maybe you saw that in your dad, but many people don't grow up in a Christian home. They, they get married, they have, they've never had an example in their entire life of what it means to be a Christian husband in the home. How does he function in marriage and in the home? And what I want, I'm gonna derive, I'm gonna to get to the text here in a moment, but what I want you to see is that marriage and Christian husbandry is a reenactment, okay? A reenactment. Are you familiar with reenactments? I have a friend who is very much into war reenactment. In fact, some years ago, he invited me to participate in a World War II reenactment. And I said, yes. And so in fact, here's a picture of, of us right before we took out the Nazis. <laughs> there we are in our World War II reenactment. Uh, and I, I had never done this before. Uh, and I was surprised at how serious these people take the reenactments. I mean, you have to have uh, clothes that are true to the, to the period. You've got a, your, your gun. They, I had a pair of glasses on. They weren't sure if they were going to let me participate because nobody in 1943 would wear glasses like you have on today. And they, they let me in, uh, thankfully. Uh, and it's a good thing or they would have lost without me. Uh, but, I mean, they, the, and there, there was, it was a big deal. This was at Buckley Homestead down in Lowell. 
And uh, there were a ton of guys that were doing this, and some of them really into it. I mean, they, they were like camping under the stars. They would only eat actual food that World War II soldiers would eat during the reenactment. I mean, they kind of went uh, a long way. I think I stopped at McDonald's on the way home or something. I felt fine about that. But uh, some guys, man, they are really really into it. In fact, one of, my, one of my favorite memories from the event was, this was back when we had a Saturday night service, I actually had to leave the battlefield early because I had to come here and preach our Saturday night service. And so I got here, I got everything ready, and I look out and there in the second row at our Saturday night service was my entire rifle squad from the, <laughs> and I was like, band of brothers. <laughs> okay, what's a reenactment? Reenactment is when you look Act and model yourself after the actions of somebody else. When you look, act, and model yourself after the actions of somebody else. Now here is how Paul explains the gospelized husband and gospelized marriage in Ephesians 5. And listen in terms of reenactment. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So like that Buckley Homestead World War II reenactment where the soldiers there were very carefully following the patterns of World War II European battle, every Christian husband is called by God in that marriage relationship to be a reenactor. Oh really, what am I reenacting? The way that Christ leads and loves the church. What do we see in this passage? What did Christ do? Christ loved the church, verse 25. Christ gave himself for the church, verse 25. God, uh, Christ cleanses the church, verse 26. He presents the church in splendor, holy and blemish-free, verse 27. He nourishes and cherishes the church. And so I take from this, if you want to know what a gospelized husband is, here's what he is. A gospelized husband is a Christian man married to a woman whose primary goal in the relationship is to reenact Christ's covenantal love for the church. That's my best stab at a definition of it. That's our calling, husbands, right here. We are reenactors of Christ in the church. And I want to note to you here, because I think people get this backwards, that Christ and the church are not, an, are not an illustration of marriage. Marriage by God's design is an illustration of the gospel. You get that? Some of you think, oh, what a beautiful picture of, of marriage. We can think about Jesus in the church. No, 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 no. What a beautiful picture of Jesus in the church when you think about marriage. It is the illustration of the greater reality. Now to be clear, in that, the husband is called to reenact Christ. 
The wife is called to reenact the church. Now I can hear a husband out here right now, he's saying to himself, I'm not acting like somebody else. I'm too macho. I'm too, mm. don't even suggest that. Well, until someone asks me to play war and I get to carry a gun, then I'm in, right? And for a Christian, the highest honor and privilege that we could have as husbands, I mean, think of this. We get, to, we get to reenact Jesus. And if he is the core identity of my life, he's the big deal, he's my, my, he's my ultimate hero, me getting a chance to reenact him in anything is an exciting thing and indeed an honor. And men, if that is not an honor to you, I would suggest your core identity is something other than your relationship with Jesus. In fact, Check your heart. I wonder if maybe Jesus is actually at the periphery rather than at the core. So what this means then, men, husbands here, is that essentially in the, in the day-to-day of being married, it is to bring to my mind consciously that in this home and in this relationship, my role here is to resemble, to reenact Christ in the way that Christ treats and loves the church. Pastor Steve, are you saying actually think about the gospel when she's yelling at me? To think about the gospel during that time of the month? To think about the gospel when I've done a oopsie daisy? That's what I'm saying, okay? That's what I'm saying. It is to bring to bear the gospel. And I'm convinced that for many, many Christian men, many of whom are well-meaning, this is not a part of the sort of consciousness of what I'm doing as a husband. And I'm trying to urge this and encourage this. In fact, I would even say it is most helpful when marriage is hard, and all marriages are hard. Can I just say that? All marriage is hard. This is a hard crowd to get an amen from. You're all afraid, like I can't say amen because my wife will be like, you sold me out, right? (laughs) But it is hard. It doesn't matter who you are. We think about, oh, those 18-year-olds that got married, you know, uh, boy, it'd be so hard to be that young and to be married. You know what? I got married when I was 44. I've been pastoring for 20 years. Guess what? Marriage is hard. It's hard. It doesn't matter who you are. It's hard. And those hard moments in particular, are the opportunities to showcase the steadfast covenantal love of Christ. To actually think, what would Jesus do in this moment? Okay, if she was the church and I was Jesus, what would, what would Jesus, how would Jesus respond in this? How would Jesus initiate, act, say, not say? Now, is this easy to do? Uh, I've only been married eight years, okay? So many of you are well further down the path. But I, I have found this not easy to do. I'm not asking for an amen. I'm just confessing that to you right now. I have, I've found this to be, to be difficult because in marriage, when you are in conflict, for example, 
the, the, it's not like the Holy Spirit rises up in that moment. I have found it's actually the flesh and Satan that rises up in that moment. And my tongue is not attached to my prayer life. My tongue is attached to the sinful part of my heart. And how easily these words come out, very damaging words come out. And in my frustration, God seems very, very distant. But again, what does Romans tell us? Romans says that there is indwelling sin that constantly wants to drag me down. But Romans 6 tells us that we have this other power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, who is sanctifying us and refining us and making us into the likeness of Christ. We have this other power as well. So, Gospelizing my husbandry is hugely advantageous for success in marriage. And the reason I say that is, is that the qualities that come with Christ's likeness, the qualities that come with gospelizing, are the qualities that lend themselves towards a successful marriage. The more Christ-like that I am, the more godly that I am, the better husband I'm gonna be. Because what comes along with Christ's likeness? Well, you have the love of Christ. You have the patience of Christ. You have the tender mercies of Christ. You have the meekness of Christ. You have the humility of Christ. These are all qualities that God is developing in the Christian husband, and the more that I got those, the better husband I am. That's Jennifer amening in the background, I hope. Yes, Steve, come on. We need more of that, and indeed we do. Every marriage does. And when I express those, I am actually reenacting the way that Christ loves the church. Point number two. Gospelized husbands aspire then to love sacrificially. We look at the cross of Jesus and we see this ultimate example of sacrificial love. He gave his life for the church. And when a husband loves sacrificially, like I think of the, the I didn't even know she was going to share this, selling the class ring to buy food for the family. How many years ago, Vani, would that have been? How many decades? 1963. 1963? Okay, so uh, my math is a 50, half a century ago, if I have that right. And you wear it really well, by the way. Okay. Half a century later, Thousands of people this weekend are celebrating her husband's selling of the class ring to pay for food for the family. In other words, those things stick with you. Those sacrificial giving, they, they, they stand out, they showcase the love of Christ. So this is something that God does in our, in our life. This is not something that we men naturally have. We don't have this naturally. Men are naturally incredibly self-centered. I keep throwing out softball amen moments. Nothing happening, nothing happening there. Uh, but, and the women said? Amen. amen, amen. And we are, and I think we can admit it. Like we're born selfish. And so you have a non-gospelized husband who approaches marriage. And he's like, all right, this is gonna be awesome because I'm gonna get so many things that I want by being married to this woman. And what do we want? We want our ladies to admire us half as much as we admire ourselves. 
And this is where marriage is like a brick wall to the self-centered man. Because self-centeredness does not produce in the wife the admiration that we so much desire. Many of you notice this? When you pump yourself up, promote yourself, prop yourself, peacock yourself in front of your wife, is she amorous? No. No. It does the opposite. It creates all kinds of problems. When my core identity is me, my marriage and my wife are tools I use for sex, for ego advancement, or domination. And you marry a man whose identity is around those core priorities, your marriage is gonna stink. Don't marry a man like that. And that's, you're like, well, then I'm staying single the rest of my life. Remember, this is, it's a process, okay? So it's a process. But why is this the case? And this quote is, uh, this is almost gospel truth right here. Listen to this quote. Marriage amplifies what a person is. Marriage amplifies what a person is. And this is to the good and to the bad. So if you are a little selfish, guess what you're gonna discover in marriage? You're a lot selfish. If you are a little grumpy in marriage, you're gonna be a lot grumpy. But it works to the positive as well. If you are kind in marriage, there are thousands of opportunities every week to express kindness. If you are, if you are joyful in marriage, there are tons of opportunities to express that, that joy and for that joy to be a blessing. Marriage amplifies what a person is. And if that person is a man whose core identity is the gospel, marriage amplifies gospel qualities and puts them on display. And that's the point. Every marriage is a showcase. It is an amplification of who we really are. And if at the core of who I really am is a sinner saved by grace, astonished at the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross, then that identity will shape the way that I treat my wife and the way that I treat my children if I have children. That identity will be amplified and showcased within the home. Number three, gospelized husbands take their leadership seriously. They take their leadership in the home seriously. Can we, can, can we accuse Jesus of sloughing off as a Messiah? You know, Jesus, you just didn't really, I don't know, it, it was, seemed kind of half-hearted. Could the church ever say that to Jesus? Absolutely not, right? We look at the cross. His leadership of the church is without question. And we see in that leadership, it's not a domineering leadership, even though he could. He's the son of God. He had every right to be autocratic if he wanted to be. But he is not that way. Rather, he leads by serving us. Think of the moment there in the upper room. Jesus is about to be crucified. He knows it. Judas is about to betray him. He knows it. What does Jesus do to prepare these disciples to live out the culture that he is, uh, and the beliefs that he has after he's uh, dead and then resurrected and gone to heaven? What does he do? He takes up the basin and the towel 
and he washes all of their feet, even Judas. And he gets done with it, and he says, now, I've given you an example. Follow, follow my example. Serve one another. Wash each other's feet. And spiritually, he's been doing that ever since for the church. And for a gospelized husband, again, this is counterintuitive to a, to a, to a naturally born man. Gospelized husband, leading is serving. Loving is serving. We are, are we the head of, of the relationship? Yes, Ephesians 5 even says that. The, the husband is the head of the wife. But what does that headship mean? It is a call to serve and to do so sacrificially. It requires humility. This is not something we men typically admire very much, is, is humility. But Jesus was meek and lowly. I have found this to be one of the greatest challenges of being a husband, because I naturally want to be served. When I get home, I want to be served. But we're called to serve, as Jesus did, and to wash their feet. How about this week, husbands, in a new way, taking up the basin and the towel, reenacting the service of Jesus to the church? Just give it a try. And at the end of the week, ask yourself, is the culture of my marriage better or worse as a result of my intentional serving of my wife? Next, gospelized husbands are really good at forgiving. Really good at forgiving. What is justification? It is God forgiving us. It is God making us righteous by faith. The gospel is a gospel of forgiveness. And as Romans 5.1 says, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message of peace. It's a message of, of reconciliation between us and God. And so if you think about what would a Christian marriage sound like, look like, feel like, you would assume a two people committed to a gospel of peace would dwell at peace with one another. And yet I have found this often not to be the case. In fact, marriage is a daily opportunity to be offended in big and small ways. Little slights, little unkind word, massive sins against one another. Marriage is an opportunity to be offended and to be offensive in so many ways. I thought about listing some of my own failures, but looking at the time, I think we need to move on. But the point is this, is that a gospelized husband who at the core of his identity understands the sin that God has forgiven me, at the core of that identity, he is going to be a pretty good forgiver. Maybe not perfect, growing at it, getting better at it, but pretty good, pretty good forgiver. I would say the same about a wife. We'll get to that maybe next week. I've been married eight and a half years, but I would say the ability to forgive is one of the most critical qualities for a healthy marriage. I mean, I, I, it's in my top three, maybe top two. The ability to forgive. 
Singles, marry somebody who's really good at forgiving. Right? I mean, again, your list, I don't know what's on your list. He's got to be, you know, tall, dark, handsome, you know, this, that, and the other. His ability to forgive you and your ability to forgive him will make or break your marriage. Because there's just the constant accumulation of these little offenses that you have to cover in grace. And if you can't do it, your marriage is not going to thrive. All right, I'm going to skip, skip ahead here. So I wonder, can you see what I'm getting at here? Okay, the gospelized husband, the qualities of a Christian man conforming to the likeness of Christ, reenacting Jesus in the church, are the very qualities that make for good husbandry. And so the more gospelized I am, the better husband I'm going to be to my wife in the home. And so I wonder if you're seeing the, the connection here. I, I love this from Paul Tripp. He says, the gospel welcomes us to be honest because it offers divine aid for everything we would need to be honest about. So Christian husbands, you have in the gospel and in the Holy Spirit what you need to be a pretty good husband. You do. There isn't a single person here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, that you can't be a pretty good husband. And the kinds of things that make for a wife appreciating her husband are the same kinds of things that God is wanting to form in you in your own personal walk with Christ. And so the more that I am growing as a Christian and the more that I am gospelizing my life uh, as, a, as a believer, the better husband I am going to be. And so I just want to say, brothers, and again, I'm not condemning, I'm in the battle with you here, but I'm urging you to prioritize the vertical and apply it in the horizontal. Have you tried that? How about this week? Again, a fresh conscious start, thinking about and trying to reenact the love of Christ. This week I'm gonna reenact the love of Christ. The service of Christ. The servant leadership of Christ. The forgiveness of Christ. To have the prayer as a husband, God help me this week to reenact the gospel in my husbandry. Can you offer that prayer, husband, today? Does that, does that resonate in your heart? I would urge you to do so. Now I can hear some of you saying, but my wife, she ain't like the church is to Jesus. Maybe I'll start modeling Jesus when she starts modeling the church. And I want to say to you, did Jesus wait for the church to love him before he loved the church? We love him because he first loved us. Here's another area to resemble Jesus. Love your wife anyway. Love your wife anyway. And a word to the wives here. You might be, uh, uh, your, or your husband today in hearing this might be scared to death to actually apply anything that I'm talking about because he's afraid that you're gonna mock him for changing the status quo or smirking at him in some way uh, for, for this or maybe him having a sense that you would be vitriolic about you winning because these are the things you've been telling him all these years. Listen, if he's brave enough to try, could you be brave enough to accept his less than perfect trying? In other words, don't say, you didn't say it right. You go back to the room and you think about it, you come back and you, you can say that, but you gotta say it better. Billy Graham would not have said it like you just said it to me. 
You took too long to say it to me. I sensed a little self-justification in that last sentence of your paragraph. To the doghouse you go. Okay. Listen, your husband is trying to reenact Jesus without being Jesus. Just like you are a flawed picture of the sanctified church, Missy. Okay. So do your marriage a favor. Show your man some grace in his flailing attempts to resemble Jesus. And if you do, you both might be blessed by a more gospelized marriage. And don't we all want that? Amen.